And this is a church which is now become a center of the divine mercy. Ah, what Poland. does that mean? You remember John Paul II had a famous a devotion which had been sparked by a nun's sister, Faust, yeah. St. Faustina. Right. I see the divine mercy the, the divine tapestry, mercy tapestry. But this church looks older than JP II era. Yes. What it, is it yeah, from? It goes back, I don't know, it goes back five, six hundred years. Everything here is so old. <laughs> Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I will take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, I'm in Rome covering the Sexual Abuse Summit with Jerry. So this week's episode might sound a little different. You'll hear the sounds of Rome and some of the interviews that Jerry and I have been doing while we're here. So let's get right into it. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. So we are here in Rome covering this uh, historic meeting. Today was day one. It's been a long day. It's about 8.30 p.m. right now. And we've made it back to Jerry's house to record a quick conversation. First, let me give you a quick rundown of this first day of the Vatican's International Summit on Sexual Abuse and the Protection of Minors. The day opened with a talk by Pope Francis, in which he called for the bishops to take concrete actions. And he surprised everyone by presenting a list of 21 action points. We'll look at a few of those in this episode. And then, the bishops heard from five survivors. We'll share some of their stories with you. Finally, the bishops and everyone gathered there listened to talks from other bishops and worked in language groups, all focusing on today's theme, responsibility. So let's start at the beginning with the Pope. Well, he arrived a half an hour before the meeting started. You could see he was keen to start. And then they had prayer, and then the Pope gave a very short talk, mm -hmm. but very pointed. He, he said, uh, I've called you from different parts of the world to consult. We're faced with a major problem, the problem, the plague this, of abuse in the church. And I want us together to solve it, to address it. And he said, but I don't want any, no more condemnations. What we want is concrete measures to deal with the problem. And he repeated concreteness is what we want. Why do you think he said no more condemnations? Do you think he just thought that there have been enough already? Well, all the time people are saying this is bad, this is a sin, this has to be eliminated, etc. And many people have said, well, there's a lot of talk but no action. And the message of Francis today is, I want action, no more talk. In addition to concrete actions, the Pope also talked about synodality. This idea that he's brought up before about the importance of listening to one another and coming to solutions together rather than having a solution imposed by an authority. But to guide the conversation, the Pope gave the bishops, cardinals, and heads of religious orders at this meeting a list of 21 ideas for action that they should consider and talk about. And the first idea was that the bishop should put together a handbook that will explain how to handle sexual abuse cases from the reporting phase all the way up through convictions and healing for the parties involved. Some bishops are expected to start working on that right after the meeting. The most straightforward point from Pope Francis's list doesn't actually deal directly with sexual abuse, but it could make a big difference in that area. He said that we need to change canon law to say that the youngest a person can get married in the church is 16. Well, Francis is very conscious how young girls become pregnant, how they suffer abuse and violence, and he's seeking ways to protect them. Right. 
to save them from abuse. Now, in present-day church law, if you're a boy, you cannot get married until you're 16. But if you're a girl, it's 14. Exactly. And Francis wants to raise the age to 16 for the girl, to protect the girl. Now, in some cultures, this will be resisted. Right. There was a question today in the press conference that we went to, in which um, I think it was Archbishop Shakluna was asked about if this statement was meant to be read as a warning sign to certain governments, uh, especially in like African countries where, where girls are married off at this age. And Shakluna's quote was, um, this comment is not meant to be read in a vacuum, right? Because his concern that he raised was that in the places where this happens, it tends to mean that legally after a girl turns, you know, the marriageable age, whatever that might be, she's not legally protected um, as an abuse victim, right? It's it's seen as she, she can't be abused if she's of a marriageable age. Yes, if she's reached the age of puberty, she's no longer, let's say, untouchable. We also heard about practical steps that the church needs to take from Archbishop Shakluna, the sexual abuse investigator who was one of the meeting's organizers. I would describe Shikluna's talk, Archbishop Shakluna's talk, as educational. Mm-hmm. It was to make sure that everybody understood the problem, but then to understand what you do once you've got the problem. Mm-hmm. So he, he was taking the bishops, some who know the whole procedure, and some who are really beginners in first grade, beginning to read and write mm-hmm. on how to deal with the problem. And so he, he took them step by step. And for those who are well-versed in dealing with the problem, it was perhaps a slightly boring, not new talk. But for others, it was an eye-opener. That detailed, systematic eye-opener came right after a really emotional talk that was delivered by Cardinal Tagle of Manila. He pled with the bishops not to shy away from the pain of dealing with sexual abuse, but to take the victim's pain onto themselves. The wounds of the risen Christ carried the memory of innocent suffering, but they also carried the memory of our weakness and sinfulness. If we want to be agents of healing, let us not reject any tendency that is part of worldly thinking that refuses to see and touch the wounds of others. Another moving moment for the bishops was listening to the audio and video testimonies of survivors, one from each continent, in order to prove to the bishops that sexual abuse is a problem everywhere. Now, the Vatican didn't allow us journalists to hear those voices in order to protect the survivors' identities, but I'm going to read you some. These descriptions of sexual abuse can be really difficult to hear, so some of you may want to skip ahead a few minutes. This first one comes from a South American man. He says, For a Catholic, the most difficult thing is to be able to speak about sexual abuse. But once you've taken courage and start telling, in our case I speak of myself, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to tell everything to Holy Mother Church, where they'll listen to me and respect me. And the first thing they did was to treat me like a liar, to turn their backs and tell me that I and others were enemies of the Church. This second testimony is from an African woman. This one's really difficult to listen to. She says, From the age of 15, I had sexual relations with the priest. This lasted for 13 years. I got pregnant three times, and he made me have an abortion three times, quite simply because he didn't want to use condoms or contraceptives. 
At first, I trusted him so much that I didn't know he could abuse me. I was afraid of him, and every time I refused to have sex with him, he would beat me. And since I was completely dependent on him economically, I suffered all the humiliations he inflicted on me. She goes on, In this relationship, I did not have the right to boyfriends. Whenever I had one and he came to know about it, he would beat me up. That was the condition for helping me economically. He gave me everything I wanted when I accepted to have sex. Otherwise, he would beat me. And she continues, I feel like I have a life destroyed. After these survivors finished speaking, the people who were in the meeting said the room fell silent for a long time. Archbishop Mark Coleridge explained it this way. Now, I've been listening to survivors for a very long time, and many, although each story is unique, there are many common elements. But I was far more moved by what I heard this morning than I expected to be. I was surprised at the way tears, as it were, welled up. It's not that I hadn't heard these voices before. I have. But I had never heard them in the extraordinary context of this gathering, and frankly, in the presence of the Pope. Now, even though this meeting involved the Pope and bishops listening to recorded testimonies from survivors, some survivors didn't think this was enough. Yesterday, some of them met with the summit organizers, and even though there had been rumors going around that the Pope would come unannounced to this meeting, he didn't. So here's Peter Isley, one of the founding members of SNAP, the support network for those abused by priests. When we come into this meeting, first of all, Pope Francis wasn't there. We made it very clear, some of us, that's not okay. Where is he? And as uh, Archbishop Shikluna said at the end of the meeting about questions we had, well, I'm not the Pope. That's the problem. He's not the Pope. And we needed to talk to the Pope. Now, this was a day ago, and a lot has happened very quickly around this meeting. So it's possible that some of these survivors have met with the Pope privately since then. So we've talked a lot about what the bishops listened to today. We haven't heard a lot except for a few side comments in the press conference about what they've been discussing. But from the little we do know, do you think that they're starting to get it? Do you think this is having the impact that it's meant to have yet? It's early time to say this, but I, I found it significant that one bishop, I think it was from Africa, came out and said, uh, why are we talking about sex abuse since in our continent we have so much abuse and violence of other forms and shades? And, uh, you know, I understand if you're in some place like the Democratic Republic of the Congo, where you've had hundreds of thousands of women raped during the war in recent years, where you have so much violence and killing, so much intimidation, this problem probably isn't high on the register of violations and abuses. So you have to understand that not everybody is living in America. Mm-hmm. Not everybody is living in Europe. Cultures are different. Father Zollner, who's the coordinator of this summit and who directs the Jesuit Center for the Protection of Children, he was in Lebanon last week and he said, when I spoke to the bishops and to people there, they said, here in our culture and across the Middle East, to come out and accuse a priest or a religious figure of abusing you, you risk 
being isolated from your clan, isolated from your family, isolated in society. And you yourself suffer the stigma of the shame that you've been through that. So he said, the forces are against public disclosure. And yet in America, people are asking, publish names, publish facts, publish details. And this is why Pope Francis brought them all together, to help the church walk together, but also understand my problems. This is how what the situation is my country. Your country has that situation, okay. But do not impose on my country your solution. And what Francis is saying, there must be a bottom line. Mm -hmm. No child is abused in any Catholic institution in any country in the world. Right. And no bishop covers up. Yeah, there was there was an interesting back and forth between, um, I think it was Archbishop Shakluna and Nicole Winfield. No, it was Archbishop Coleridge and Nicole Winfield from the Associated Press after Archbishop Coleridge said that, that this uh, African or Asian, he didn't specify, uh, bishop said in his, in his language group, in his working group, you know, why is this an issue when so many others are issues? And Nicole said, well, I, I hope you corrected him, right? She said, I hope that you... That someone told him, well, this is especially bad because, you know, it's church clergy who are committing this crime. And Archbishop Coleridge's response was was interesting to me because he said, you know, I, I didn't get a chance to respond. But if I had, I don't think I would have corrected him because because the point of this is, you know, we Americans, we people who have been dealing with just this issue as our main issue for for a long time, you know, we don't get to say that we have all the answers. Yes, he's Australian and he, he says, you know, we have to come with humility. Mm -hmm. And I was struck by Archbishop Shikluna. He said, when you're approaching victims, you're walking on sacred ground. Mm -hmm. You've got to realize they have suffered, they've been on the cross and you have to respect that you're going to the cross of Christ when you touch them. And this was Tagli's point as well. So day one of this meeting has come to a close. And while today focused on responsibility, tomorrow is about accountability. We'll be hearing more from the bishops about what practical steps they discussed this afternoon, and in the coming days, we'll start to see more concrete plans taking shape. After the meeting ends on Sunday, some bishops are going to stay in Rome to start putting together both the handbook that we mentioned and to set up a system in which every bishop in the world will be audited on how they handle sexual abuse. Plus, on Sunday, we'll finally hear what Pope Francis's plans are. He's holding these plans pretty close to the chest until then. We'll have full reporting on that throughout the weekend at americamagazine.org. And next week, we'll bring you a deep dive into the abuse crisis from a more personal angle, with a preview of America's new podcast, Deliver Us. It's been a pleasure to, you know, tour Rome with you and get to know the Vatican from the inside out. Thanks for showing me around. Well, I look forward to chatting again with you, Colleen, and to sharing with our audience uh, what has happened in the summit, the conclusions of the summit, and where where the follow-up is going. I hope we'll be able to talk about that. I think we will. 
Inside the Vatican is produced by me, Colleen Dully. Our executive producer is Eric Sundrup. Our news producer is Kevin Clark. Our audio engineer is Karen Freeman. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Oliver Lazarus. Our studio manager is Leopold Stubner. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org or follow us on Twitter at americamag. For America Media, I'm Colleen Dully with Gerard O'Connell. See you next week.